0: Is all of that... good? Hey guys, what's up? Welcome to episode 11 of Odyssey Geek. Today is finally the day that I talk about the episodes from album 69. Now, normally, I would take each episode by itself. However, since I am really behind on talking about these episodes, I'm just going to talk about all six of them in this episode. So, let's talk about album 69, Best Kept Secrets. Alright, I have to say that the three-parter, the Rydell Revelations, was my most looked-forward-to episode, or episodes in this album. I tried to keep my expectations down on this because I was afraid of being disappointed. It kind of happened with Further From The Truth. As I got closer to listening to this, as I got closer to hearing these episodes, I was thinking, okay, I'm really looking forward to this. I'm, my expectations are really high on this. And if it filled some of those expectations, so starting out, I was wondering if they would have a parental warning on this episode. They didn't. But maybe part three should have had one, I and mean, really all three of these episodes together are fairly intense, especially compared to normal Odyssey episodes, because there's yet been an episode that has a print of war on it that I didn't really like. I did notice right off the bat the music was different. I knew that Jared Pasquale was going to be doing the music for this episode, but I was not expecting the score that he actually did on this. It was awesome. It was. It sounded different than most any other Odyssey episode. And I think that fit well with the episodes, because these episodes are very different. Not always in a good way, but it gave all the episodes this, you know, suspenseful feel to them. It was great. Great job on the music on all three of these episodes. And I am glad they didn't have a previously on Ventures in Odyssey, which the whole first episode kind of is, without having, like, flashbacks. Having Emily go back and discover stuff that we already knew and recapping stuff as part of the storyline of the episode, was great. I know some people may not like that it's rehashing a lot of the past stuff, but, you know, these episodes, unless you're really, really into them, and analyzing every aspect of them, there are some things that you might miss for, like, the casual listener of Odyssey. Now, I did not believe that Mori was telling the truth about Emily. I don't think I ever thought for a moment that Emily had kidnapped Suzu. I figured that Mori was trying to pull something on Wit, and for a while I wondered if Wit was in the imagination station. Kind of like Emily and Further from the Truth. I did like this episode talks about that Emily narrates or dictates her notes on the cases that she's done. Which actually fits in so well with so many other episodes where we had Jones and Parker mysteries have Emily's narration. And I like that, that they have, like, a reason for that in this episode. I mean, it doesn't always work because, you know, some of it might be present tense, past tense talking. But, I don't know, it's it's just a nice easter egg, I think, for long-time listeners. I like Mrs. Mado. I, I liked her voice, I liked the actress for her. I didn't have a whole lot of suspicions about her in this first episode. I mean, we had never heard from her before, and I thought at least one of Maury and Suze's parents would be there, so that was surprising. And also, when I heard that their mom was dead, I don't know, I kind of questioned that, too. I was thinking, you know, how many people have died on Odyssey and have been found out to be alive later. I'm glad that there's actual resolution with Matthew after the escape room stuff, and now the fake Imagination Station one. And so far, Matthew has not been in any other episodes after this episode, so it appears that this might have been Matthew's last episode, which... I'm okay with that. I think it was a good resolution and I think a good, really good character moment for him. And I will say I will miss Matthew Parker a lot. I'll miss the whole Parker family. Long before this, people had speculated and I didn't really think about it for a long time until fairly recently before these episodes that Suzu was a big part of the schemes. And we do find that out in this episode when Suzu says, we wouldn't let anything happen to you in the escape room. And I really liked how this episode ended. I was glad that Wit was finally on top of things, that he is smarter than Mori, and I liked the cliffhanger there. I loved part one. I was so into it. I was so ready to listen to the next part. So part one, excellent. I'd give it five stars. And part two just ramped things up. And having Wit read the um, journal entry from the Writer's Ruse case, that was so cool. Like, yes, 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 Wit knows about these things. And also finding out that Jordan Winward and Miss Popov were all fake, that was some good explanation there. And he finally, finally did something about the recording, which, as it has been pointed out on other podcasts, it is a very easy or fairly easy thing to do to manipulate the voice to sound like Maury. Even if Wick couldn't figure it out, he could have given it to Jason. Jason did a lot of audio manipulation in No Way Out, and I think No Way In maybe. I like the scenes with Mrs. Mado and Raymond Rydell. I know some people didn't really like his actor a whole lot or his delivery on that. I think it was well done. I felt like he was kind of, I don't know, cold, and I think that's what came out with it that he was kind of concerned about stuff, but he wasn't as concerned as he should have been about his son and his kids. And it also kind of furthers the running joke in Odyssey that Wit knows everybody, so so it wasn't a big surprise when we found out that Wit knew uh, Mori's father. And here comes the explanation in this episode about the things that Mori and Suzu did were just games, and then also kind of talking about he was trying to make sure that the kids were actually being real christians or that they would do what they said they'd do i didn't quite buy that whole lot again it's two different reasons kind of there and also it felt kind of anticlimactic not making more an overt villain i think was a mistake but i'll talk more about that later i did really love the mention of wonder world and having wonder world in an episode that was really good i know I think years ago they talked about bringing Wonderworld back for the episode, I think, Switch. Like, Jimmy Barkley had come um, visiting Wonderworld, and I think uh, the Washington kids found him there. And that's the last time I heard that they were thinking about putting Wonderworld in an episode. So it was good, even though it was just like for one scene, it was really nice. In part two, the conversation with Wit and Maury talking about the things that they do, whether it's manipulating people, whatever they're doing is good... I had problems with that, and I still have problems with that. Even though I knew that the actress for Tasha, or I should say the second actress for Tasha, not the original, was going to be in this episode or one of these episodes, I was still surprised that Tasha was actually in this episode. Now, it would have been nice if I didn't know the actress was the same actress. I'm looking at you, Lee. Lee. Just kidding. That was fun. That was real good detective work, Lee. But for those that don't know, Lee Asim, or Michael, from the AIO Wiki podcast and AIO Audio News, he pointed this out, I think, in the review of part one on the AIO Wiki podcast about her being in there. And when he mentioned the possibility of, like, nah, that's not going to happen. And I think I talked about this... I'm not sure if we're about this on the podcast or maybe on one of the Odyssey forums, but I did not want this saga to be related to any other sagas. I wanted this to stand alone very much on its own. I wasn't 100% happy that Tasha was in this episode after hearing part two. I know it was a surprise and it was kind of nice, good cliffhanger on this episode. But after hearing part three, I think it does stand on its own, still pretty well from the Blacker Chronicles. It was nice to have Tasha back. It was kind of neat seeing her without Jason, which I'll talk about that later. Also, I have to say, the end credits music for part two, I think it is, sounds a lot like the music for Iliad House. So I think that once Iliad House is able to have new episodes again, Jared DePasquale should do the music for it. I think he'd be a great fit for those episodes. Part two, i think was quite good it was a little bit expositional but i think it was still engaging enough i don't think it left me bored at all at the time i had some mm, didn't feel the greatest about this because of the anticlimactic nature of mori's character and in the addition of wit and mori being similar i still think it's a good episode well written good music good acting in it good sound design i'd give that episode four and a half stars out of five it didn't seem to be i don't know quite as tight as part one Part 1 and Part 2 are very different, but I think they're still both well-written. Now, I'm not sure if anybody else came up with this idea, or I thought about this, but when they talked about an old shack on Forest Mountain, I thought Novacom. Because there's that shack on Forest Mountain that Witt and Tom find that has Imagination Station and all the other stuff in it. So I know that Phil Lawler wasn't involved in the Novocom saga. He wasn't on the team during that time. So I'm not sure if it was a direct reference to it or an intentional reference to it. But in my mind, it's canon. I probably should have suspected Mrs. Maydo more. Yeah, I think that first scene of part three is um with Tasha and Wit and Maury. And then it's Suzu and Emily. So I think maybe around that time, I might have wondered about Mrs. Maydo. I guess I should have suspected her more. But since Wit knew her, I kind of trusted her. And here's the thing. There's a whole different story arc that's built into this already existing story arc. Like, this is an aspect of a story that was not there before. This microfiche thing that was hidden. This figurine thing that Suzu had. It seemed kind of shoehorned in. It didn't feel like the natural progression for the Rydell saga. Even though... It still is quite engaging and a good story. And I'm not certain, but Tasha mentioning there's more agents in Odyssey and doesn't tell more about it. I'm wondering if that is talking about Jason. I don't really think there will be anybody else in Odyssey. But, you know, Odyssey is a big hotspot for spy activity for some reason. And I kind of picked up on how the climax of this episode would be... When Emily started giving hints on the phone, I was thinking, oh, yeah, they're going to do that. They're going to do the things that mori did in the past. And my suspicions were confirmed. And I found it interesting that this takes place in, like, the Waterworks, or an old area of the Waterworks in Odyssey. And I believe that was the original location, or an early draft of A Name Not A Number, where when Jason was coming to get Tasha, and I think Mustafa was there. But I think they didn't use that because of the sound effects issue, like, a lot of the water sound effects, so I'm glad that they were able to use it for this episode. And I do have to say, the mysterious voice, or Mori's voice, it doesn't sound, it doesn't sound like the exact same as it did in A Sacrificial Escape. I knew it was Mori, and I knew what he was trying to do with it. I don't know, maybe the effects on that weren't copy and pasted over from the original, and maybe it was just made to sound similar to it, as similar as they could. And the idea of them using the imagination station box, and also kind of the technology that was used in the world of Wetonia, where Renee was made to look like uh, one of the Wetonians, Which, again, this is technology that was in the club episodes, which, it's not a big loss for people that don't hear those episodes, but it is kind of nice to have, you know, the origins of it. There's some great sound design in that scene with the fight, and the scuffle, and the water sound effects. It was great. This episode alone I think has the best sound design of all the episodes in this album. So kudos to Luke Guneau and Jonathan Crowe for this one. I did like the line, kind of, when Tasha left and said, don't tell Jason about me being here. I think that was probably, I think that was probably a real, I think that really, I think that really crushed a lot of fans because, you know, there's so many fans that still want Jason and Tasha to get together. And since Jillian is still on the show and the writers are still pushing for them to get together, kind of, It just seemed like a final nail in the coffin. That ship has sailed. Jason and Tasha aren't getting together, which is sad. Now, it comes down to the final scene. I did not like this final scene at all. There's a lot wrong with it, and I'll try to unpack some of it here. First off, I want to go back to the point I talked about earlier. I think it was a mistake not making Mori a big villain. Making Mrs. Mado the villain of the saga, because she was, you know, just introduced in part one of the Rydell Revelations, and then in part three, you know, captured, there's so much potential with Moore being a kid villain that's never been done before in Odyssey. There's been kid antagonists, there's been, unfortunately, you know, like Nicholas Adamsworth in The Power, which is kind of similar, but doesn't make sense for the character, and you know, there's been Rodney and Vance. Vance has done some pretty big stuff. But having someone that's very capable, you know, and manipulating stuff, all this, I think it would be a more compelling story and work better with Odyssey overall if Mori was a villain doing something really nefarious, either for his parents or for someone else or doing it all on his own just because, you know, for the fun of it, not for some kind of so-called moral reason. And I would be totally fine if after part three, we did not hear from Mori and Suzu again. I think... Because of the way things are supposed to continue out after this, going by the last scene, Witt knowing all this stuff and not doing anything about it, allowing Emily and Matthew to go through these situations, I don't think was good. The things that happened to Emily should not have happened. Witt should have, in my opinion, stepped in. The escape room thing, that is very traumatizing. It's not an imagination station adventure. They didn't choose to be put in that kind of situation where anything could happen like that. The Imagination Station, they choose to go into it. The Escape Room, they think it's just a normal escape room, and Wit allows it. And even if they weren't really in danger, that could be very traumatizing, especially for a kid. Yes, Emily is special, fairly mature for her age, but still that should not have happened. I think this episode really taints Wit's character and his morals. And I don't like that. I feel like that's a personal attack. Because Wit, even though he's shown several times to not be perfect, like with his family and making some mistakes, like with Jack and uh, Wilson, he is the moral high ground above everybody else in Odyssey, pretty much. With this, he seems to be taken back quite a bit. Him downplaying the things that Maury did and saying that, you know, the things he did to bring out the good in people, is that Good. I am thinking and talk about some stuff that doesn't happen in the episode. I know Lee Asim or Michael has done several conversations with Phil Lawler about this topic, and with other people about it. I know Phil Lawler has his views on things, and the things he's talked about outside of this episode. I think maybe his own opinions. I don't think it comes across in the episode too much that Maury was right about things. I mean, it kind of is, but the idea that Maury did good things. I don't think Odyssey should have gone there because he did break the law. Wit talks about this in The Sacrificial Escape. He broke the law. He held people captive, breaking and entering, all this stuff. That's bad. Now, is it good for Mori to make people be better people by putting them in tough situations, by making them think they might die? No, that's not good. I know I'm talking in extremes here, but think about like Nero back in the early church years where Christians were persecuted and driven out from places, and those actions made the church stronger, made Christians stronger, made the church grow, and went to spread the gospel to other areas. Was Nero good in his actions and his persecution against the Christians? No, he wasn't. But God used those things to turn it into something good. Nero's actions were not good. Killing people, torturing, whatever, were not good things. And what if Nero had good intentions to make the church grow? If, he'd ha- if he knew that the church would grow because of his actions, he might think, oh, I'm doing something good. So what if Nero was someone that sympathized with the Christians, but he put so much pressure on them with all his actions because he wanted the church to grow? Would those actions have been good? No, they wouldn't be. Just because some things that people do have good outcomes does not mean those actions are good. The Bible does say, all things work together for good. Mori, and all the stuff he did, was not good. And I find it very disturbing that this Odyssey episode puts him on the same level as Wit. Wit is a Christian, Mori is not. Even if his intentions are good, his actions aren't. And I think there should have been a stronger stance on that. And I think Emily has every right to be disappointed and mistrusting of Wit. And Mori and Suzu as well. Mori and Suzu, yeah... They had to kind of let her down. They were her friends. Wit, the things that he did, was not good. I think it's kind of a slippery slope here. This is my personal opinions. People may have other opinions on this. And I'd heard this episode after Millstones. I didn't have quite as big of a reaction to this as I did Millstones. They're supposed to be discussion starters. But I think in the episode, it's not vague enough to have the audience figure it out for themselves. I think these episodes have too much of a strong stance on things... That can be really confusing and also disappointing to some listeners, including myself. And also, the idea of Suzu and Mori being with Wit as kind of like foster kids or whatever, I don't really like that. It seems like we've been here, done that. Because right now, Jules is staying with Connie. She's like, she's her guardian. And Buck is with Eugene and Katrina. They're his guardians. And now, Wit's the guardians of these two kids. It does not seem that original. It seems like a weak excuse to keep Morgan Suzu in Odyssey. <sighs> so, part three had some good things in it. I like the action with it. But the last scene, and I think the last scene with the Conversation with Wit, I think could have been taken out or changed to a certain extent where the gray area that's talked about would not be part of it. I think it would have been a better episode without it. And again, if he had it where Mori was a true villain, then I think we would have had a little bit tighter... I don't know. I know I'm kind of rambling here. But I will say, Phil Lawler did a good job of tying all these past episodes in together. I think he did a great job with it. I think he succeeded in almost every aspect in tying all those loose ends up. However, there is no unified vision near the beginning of this saga of where it would go. I think... This is why, in any future storyline coming up, that from the beginning, there needs to be a cohesive way. There there should be a unified vision on where it's going to go, whether someone's going to be a villain or not, where this character's going to go. That way, it's not so back and forth and up and down. I think that's one of the reasons why some people don't like this saga. Now, I don't think this is a satisfactory conclusion to the Rydell saga. I know there's another episode coming up that will tackle some of these things in these episodes. But I was very let down. And part three. Part one's great. Part two's pretty good. Part three, because of all the things I mentioned, it came off very unsatisfactory. And really, all Odyssey episodes do not have to have strong morals or strong lessons or strong biblical lessons or parallels. And there's episodes like Aloha Oi that has no really spiritual, redeeming meaning to it or moral to it, but it's still a good episode. It's good, clean, fun. This episode didn't really need to have a lesson that was shoehorned in at the end and done poorly. I think if very little was talked about it, I think it would have been better. Overall, I think the writing for these episodes is very strong. The sound design, the acting is. But at the heart of it all, it's disappointing. With the morals and the lesson just not done well. So, part three, I don't know. It's difficult to give a star rating on this one. Because my personal feelings on it and the moral aspect of it, I'll probably give part three just three stars out of five. And overall... Again, I'm not good with math, so I'm not averaging all these together. I'll only give both these three parts all together four stars. The only real redeeming episode, I think, is part one. Part two and part three are the questionable ones. So, I might feel differently about these episodes later, but as of right now, that's what I think about them. And now, moving on to For a Song. One thing I noticed when I heard the name Mr. Altman, I knew I'd heard that name before. It sounded really familiar. And I believe Mr. Altman is the guy from, I think, The Price of Freedom that taught Kirk McGinty, if I'm not mistaken. So, he's been teaching for quite a while, if that's the same person. It was also nice to hear another character on Odyssey with the name Austin, which we haven't heard from that Austin O'Connor guy from the Popsicle Kid for a while. And who knows, we might hear from this Austin guy in the future that comes and confronts Buck. That might make for a good story. I noticed that this episode had different music as well. John Campbell did the score for this one. And I liked having this episode. It was unique. All of it takes place mainly in Odyssey High School, I'm guessing, and also a little bit of Whitsend. And also, I'm wondering, where are Buck and Jules recording these songs? Are they using the kids' radio studio or somewhere else? I don't think it's ever mentioned where exactly it is. I mean, they might just be recording in Connie's house or something, but the sound effects sound like it's a studio, in my opinion. And of course, we have Valerie back in this episode, and I think it was a good episode for Valerie. But again, I am kind of ticked off that there has not been much development with her character since Take Every Thought Captive. I mean, I like hearing her as a villain. I just wish there was more to it. I wish that we see more of her backstory and more of her, uh, the side of her, like her love of painting and her, you know, her childhood growing up, hearing about Jesus and stuff. I wish we would hear more about that. I do have to say the dialogue in this episode was great. I think this is the first episode by Abigail Geiger, I believe. And I think she did really great with the dialogue. I think both Buck and Jules were in character. However, I do have some problems with the song. The song, it is very, I don't know. I know Jules isn't a Christian, but the song itself and having so much of it in it, it seemed a little bit, a little bit too on the edge. I know it's a secular song and it's not coming from a Christian perspective, but there's a line in there that Jules says, I'm not your toy. Eh, that is a little bit too much. That can really be construed. That can really be taken a lot of different ways and not all good ones. That seemed a little bit too edgy. And I don't think that fits with Odyssey at all, especially with it being a Christian show. So Savannah, I think it's Savannah, right? I think it's Savannah or I can't remember the names. There's there's two girls in this that are first-time characters, but one of them, that the one that Valerie has helping her I was kind of surprised she didn't make Nelson be the one to help her with this, because Nelson would be able to do a lot more of this stuff. I would love to hear Nelson more. We haven't heard from Nelson in quite a while. But I guess it makes sense to have someone at school that can do stuff there, since Nelson, I don't think, is in high school. And I think someone pointed this out, too, that everybody in this episode that we know of is not a Christian, and that's very unusual for Odyssey. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I think the lesson that was learned in this, being selfless doing things for others, being humble, and keeping your priorities straight, I think it works. But I will say, I did enjoy this episode. It was a fun story. Again, the song that Jules sings, I don't really care for, but I think the dialogue, the writing, the acting, and the score was great. This is actually a very, it's a very fresh episode of Odyssey. I'm sure it will be dated 10 years from now, because of all the technology stuff and it works for today. It's different than most current Odyssey episodes, but I think it will lose kind of its shine later on. But it's a great first episode for the new writer on Odyssey. Great job. This episode, if it wasn't for the song and the sketchy lyrics, I'd probably give this episode four and a half stars out of five, but I'm gonna just give it four stars. Okay, so moving on to California Dreams part one. Again, we have different music leading into the episode. And there's talking about the Riley Clemens farm and the Westcott girls and Harlow, not Harlow, um, Carno Wilcox, or Westcott, sorry. And I don't know if it was really mentioned much before. I think a tiny bit in Legacy about Buck being part of that group or helping them out. I know he performed in Icky and Cat and Balty and Bones, but I didn't know he did it as a regular thing. There was some tension in the last episode with Buck and Jules, and this seems to come to a head in this episode with both of them getting really angry at each other. I like the toothpick reference. We haven't heard about Buck's toothpicks in a while. And it would have been nice to be surprised that, that Jules' mother was coming to get her. I think the Odyssey team wasn't real concerned about that being a big surprise. So it doesn't come as a surprise in the episode. You're just kinda of waiting for it to happen. And it's kinda of sudden. It's like in the second scene, we have her coming to pick Jules up. I know Connie mentions this, like it's also sudden. The first two or three scenes, it seems like getting to like the episode super fast. And I know this is a two-parter, but it seemed like things could have been slowed down a little bit. But maybe, I mean, the previous episode for a song ties into this one quite a bit. So maybe it's not needed. If you have that episode to listen to, then you don't need as much build-up in this one. But it did seem really fast-paced there. And Jan, of course, probably short for January, comes to pick Jules up. And I think it's a good actress. Um, I can't remember the name of the person that plays her. I don't know. I don't think we've ever heard from any other Bill's Wives I think just June. But no, Jules's mom seems very flaky, very I don't know, the kind of person I don't think that Bill would stick around with very long, which sounds like he probably didn't. I find it ironic that she's been with a bunch of other guys, and Jules brings up that she has terrible taste in men. And the name Coyote, I mean that was quite unique. I'm glad they didn't call him Coyote throughout the whole thing. Kai was a lot better. At the beginning, I kind of suspected that Jan came to pick Jules up because she thought she was becoming famous and all that. So I wasn't really trusting her much. I probably should have caught on a lot sooner about Kai, but I kind of... I trusted him a little more than I trusted Jan for some reason. I think his voice... The voice of that character, I think, is a lot more mellow. A lot more normal-sounding than Jan's. To so me, that's why, you know, he sounds more trusting. Now, these episodes... I had difficulty listening to them because so much of the music was so modern, so pop-like. It did not seem like an Odyssey episode at all. I mean, they usually... Sometimes they have music kind of like this here and there, but so much of it, I, I just didn't like it. I know I don't like that kind of music personally, and there are people that I know that have problems with it as well that didn't like this episode and the way it went, which I didn't really much either because... Well, we see this a little bit in four Song where she's starting to want to be famous. And this story sounds like a lot of stories nowadays where, you know, you can make it big, be famous, go along with the crowd. Last episode and this episode, and I know there is a little bit of a comeuppance later, but these two episodes feel, it's very fast paced. I don't think there's much time to really stop and like, you know, take a breath. And I don't think they really let Jules do that either. Like, This episode seemed very... It was very fast-paced, very streamlined. And in doing so, and also with the music, too, it seemed kind of shallow. It it didn't feel as good of a story as it could have been. Now, I know some people, and I was saying this, too, that it might be a parallel of Connie Parts 1 and 2, that Jules might become a Christian, like Connie did when she went back to California. I'm thinking if they had gone that way, these episodes might have been different. But I think it probably would have been better... Because it would have made these episodes, I think, a little more impactful. Because things happen so fast, it hardly seems like much time has passed at all. From the time that she left Odyssey and then going back. I did find it interesting that the cliffhanger for this episode is... Jules finding out she's dating a guy she's never met before. And a famous person at that. I was okay with that. It was a different ending. It was a different cliffhanger. It's not like a, you know, edge of your seat thing. But not all cliffhangers or not all first parters or whatever have to end, you know, with a big... Super dramatic thing. The style of the episode itself, I think it works. For part two, it seems like things gone got even faster in the pace of everything. Um, I did like I did like some of the jokes about uh Jules and her date. We're talking about like you know uh vegan stuff and tofu and yeah. He says like uh, like I'm a bad boy. We set things on fire with our barbecues. That that was probably my favorite line from this episode. And as fast paced as things were, the only times that we have even a little bit of a kind of a breather were the scenes with Connie and Buck but even those don't seem to be either well acted or well written or not directed well I don't, I don't know how to quite describe it it doesn't seem like it those scenes should have been a lot more impactful but to me they weren't buck's reactions were pretty natural but for connie i felt that she could have said more or done more and i think there could have been some really good conversations there and some real some real you know heart to hearts But it doesn't feel like that. Again, it doesn't feel like it's as good as it could have been. And as things, you know, get crazier and crazier. And the songs, too. It's kind of interesting to see the progression of Jules' song from, like, different styles and tempos and that kind of stuff. And again, like, last episode, I think these ones especially, it's gonna be very dated very fast. A lot of the stuff they were talking about, you know, the pop culture references, the music styles, things like that. These episodes are gonna be so dated in 5 to 10 years. And I know... Not every episode from Odyssey's past have aged well, but having three episodes kind of like this in the same album, I don't think they're going to be anybody's favorite. I don't think these are going to be real memorable episodes down the road. And when we go back to listen to these again, they're going to say like, oh yeah, <laughs> that's how funny how things were back then. And again, I think that adds a little bit to like the shallowness of these episodes. Now, I was surprised that Buck went all the way out to California to, you know, crash a concert. It's actually really amazing how he got in there. I mean, he is—I mean, he was a con man, kind of still is a con man, so I'm not super surprised. But there's no mention of how he got there. Did he run away from home? Did Eugene and Katrina let him go? Like, would they allow him to go? Would they want him to go? Did Connie know about it? There's no mention of that. Again, it happened so fast. There's not much time to explain stuff. I don't think it's ever really explained. And if he did go without their permission, that's not good. He's going, like, cross-country or, like, or halfway across the country to go out there. I mean, yeah, in the story, it's sweet, but the ramifications of that and the consequences from that, there's no mention of that, and that's, I think it's pretty big to be glossed over. I know these are teenagers, but still, there are teenagers that listen to Odyssey, and some of the ideals and some of the ideas and things that happen in these episodes, I don't think a lot of parents will like their kids seeing these kind of situations, because there's not much... Set against what they're doing, and it's kind of gloss over like, oh yeah, that's that's just them, or whatever. There's not a whole lot of talk about what they're doing is wrong. I mean, there is some discussion later about, you know, how, like, fame got to her head and all that. But there's deeper stuff here. There's deeper stuff to be discussed, but it's not discussed. And also the lyrics to the song, I'm Just Me, I think it's made a little bit better than the song from Four Song. However, it's still, I mean, the lyrics are very shallow and secular. I, mean, I know she's not a Christian, but this is a Christian show. A lot of these episodes in this album are devoted to this kind of thing, and we know that even he wants us just as we are. God doesn't want us to stay that way, but He doesn't want us to leave us that way. And I think the song that they have kind of works against that. I know it's kind of a you know a general saying like, "Hey, you know, everybody's their like everybody has their own personality and all that." I get that, and again, the song could be taken in some different ways that I don't think should happen. I do find it kind of interesting that Buck became really popular there. And also, I don't think I really caught on that Kai was trying to get her famous to make him, you know, more popular and stuff like that, too. I think that was a, a fairly big surprise for me. But I kind of caught on, I think, a little bit near the end. Like, he like he let it slip about uh the video. And I was also kind of surprised that Jan knew nothing about it, which is kind of a surprise. I think if they had made both of them like that, I think that would have vilified them too much and even though jules mom is not a good person and not a good mom either at least she has some kind of respect for her daughter so i'm glad that she wasn't vilified as much as kai was and i'm also glad that she knows that connie is a better person to take care of her daughter so i don't know if we'll ever hear from jan again that'd be interesting to see i don't know we'll see what happens in these episodes and also for a song there's more talk about jules and buck being you know boyfriend and girlfriend and i know a lot of fans want that However, I don't think that's a good idea. I actually really don't, because neither one of them are Christians. A lot of the kids listening are around their age. I say a lot. There's probably not as much as the younger kids. But having the Odyssey team focus so much on their relationship this way, without either of them being Christians, I think, unless one of them becomes a Christian, I think it'll be a problem. Because most of all, the show is supposed to teach kids... That being saved from your sins is the best thing to do in life. And whoever you date and marry should have the same faith as you and the same beliefs. We've had several episodes like that. Now, Buck and Jules have pretty much the same beliefs, a little bit, but they're not Christians. And I think elevating them without focusing on the spiritual nature of it is a little bit dangerous. So, I'm hoping... I mean, Buck has been on the show for a long time. Jules has, not quite as long. But I really hope that one of them becomes a Christian soon. I mean, I doubt both of them will get saved at the same time. And I'm not even sure both of them both of them will, but I'm pretty certain one of them probably will. But as rushed as this episode was, I'm glad that Jules didn't become a Christian this way. I think there's a better way to tell that story. And it's not until like the last scene of the episode that Connie actually brings out some spiritual application with all this. And I do like this line. She says, real joy comes from what God thinks of you, how he sees you. And Jules accepts it to a certain extent. If you're concerned about what God thinks of you, you will do what he wants you to do. So I kind of wish there was a little bit more emphasis on that in some way. I kind of wish we had somebody like a voice of reason, kind of like the lady on the bus or Pamela from the Connie two-parter. I think having someone like that to speak a little bit of a voice of reason would have made this episode a little bit better. But as rushed as it was, I don't think they would have been able to fit that in very well. So I left these episodes feeling meh about them. Again, I think there's problems with these episodes and the messages they're presenting. I hope that we don't have episodes like this in the future for Jules. I think there's a lot better ways to go to explore her character than this. I hope we have some really deep episodes soon, like Life Expectancy or Friend or Foe, that will help her character and Buck's character to grow. So I think I forgot to rate the first part. The first part, I think the first episode probably, I don't know, three stars? Maybe two and a half yeah i'll I'll go with two and a half for the first part and three stars for the second part again, together, I don't think it makes that much of a compelling story. I don't think this episode will be well remembered or well loved and will feel very dated very soon, so yeah, overall, basically, I just give it three stars at the max overall, so I do have to say, best kept secrets were not a lot of fun to find out about. I had a lot of expectations on the three parter Good build-up, but a disappointing ending. Four Song is, prob- is probably the best of the three Jules episodes. I think it's a much better story, and production-wise. California Dreams was just... Yeah, it's a very they're very forgettable episodes, and have too many problems, along with some stuff from part three of the of relations that... I don't know, I felt kind of burned out after hearing these episodes. I was... I'm a big proponent for new Odyssey episodes. I do enjoy a lot of the new Odyssey episodes. But these episodes... I don't know. And also, looking at some of the club episodes from this year, well, one in particular, and most people could probably guess which one that is, I don't know. It almost makes me not want to hear New Odyssey as much. I'm hopeful that the next album will be better. I have heard the first episode from that album, Jumping Off, Jumping In, today at the time of this recording. So I know there is more good stories to come on the Odyssey. I just hope they're not anything like these episodes in this album. They're not enough for me to give up Odyssey altogether, but if Odyssey has a lot of stories like these in the future, I do have concerns. So overall for this album, there's so much promise with these episodes, and I think most of them, except me for a song, drop the ball on a lot of it. So overall for this album, I'm just going to give it three stars. It's a crucial album to listen to if you're following the storylines from past Odyssey episodes, but it's not one that I would recommend to casual listeners to Odyssey, and it's not one I'm going to be revisiting anytime soon. Well, I'm glad I'm finally done with those reviews. It's been a long time coming, and I apologize it's taken me this long to get to them. Hopefully now I'll be able to move on to some other stuff. Before I sign off today, I want to read an email I got a few months ago. Again, another thing I'm finally getting to. It's from Jeremy L., and he says, I live in Colorado and have been a big fan of AIO since 1997. I'm a really big fan of a lot of the AIO podcasts that are out there. I was a big fan of the first podcast that you did with your sister Tasha. That would be the AIO Blogcast. in case some of you didn't know about that. Anyway, back to the email. And I'm really glad that you started podcasting again. I love listening to your reviews, and I really enjoy the different guests that you have had on. I'm really excited about the episodes coming out this season of AIO. I'm going to be getting the album on CD. I really enjoy listening to the two- and three-parter episodes. I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts. Keep up with the great work with the podcast. Sincerely, your loyal fan and loyal listener jeremy l well thank you jeremy that was a really nice email to get and i so appreciate your listening to the podcast and my last podcast so thank you again for doing that that helped make my day when i first read that so if you would like to contact me like jeremy did you can do that by emailing me at odysseygeek at gmail.com you can also contact me on facebook twitter and instagram you can find me there in those places at odyssey geek in case you forgot That's O-D-Y-S-E-Y-G-E-E-K. And also, you can find Odyssey Geek on pretty much every podcasting platform out there. So if you haven't subscribed yet, I'd really appreciate you doing that. That helps make sure that you know when new episodes come out and be among the first to hear them. And while you're at it, make sure to leave a review and let me know what you think of the show. And make sure to share this podcast with a friend, someone that you think is an Odyssey Geek as well. Thank you for joining me for this episode, and I'll talk to you in the next one.